Welcome into the Think Deeper podcast. I'm your co-host, Joe Wilkie, joined here by Jack and Will today. And before we get into what I think is a pretty compelling podcast, uh, we are going to do another book giveaway. So, Jack? Uh, all right. So, we've been trying to promote, and we mentioned last week, our, our new Facebook page. Uh, we want to get some activity on that. We want to drive some people to that. And so we're going to give away an ebook. The way we're going to do it, there's going to be four steps here. Um, go to the Think Deeper podcast page. If you're on a computer, facebook.com slash thinkdeeperpod, P-O-D. Um, we'll have a post there. It'll be clear the, the post for this episode, the book giveaway. We want you to like the page, uh, the Think Deeper, Pod, Think Deeper podcast page. Um, like the post, comment on the post, share the post. Four steps. Like the page, like the post, comment on the post, share the post. That will enter you into a book giveaway. Um, we've got, oh, I didn't choose which book we're going to give away. How about uh, an ebook of Dr. Brad Harab's Convicted? We have not given away a Convicted yet. Um, very popular. In fact, our, our highest selling book of all time. One of the great, great apologetics resources in the church today. And so that'll be our book giveaway. Facebook.com slash Think Deeper Pod or Think Deeper Podcast page. Like the page, like the post, comment on the post, and share the post, and that will get you entered. All right, Will, uh, let's uh, turn it on over to you. So our topic for today uh, is an interesting one. Um, We are looking at the subject of youth ministry, uh, which is going to be interesting because uh, that's currently what I do. Uh, My official title is Youth Evangelist uh, at the Decatur Church of Christ down here in Decatur, Alabama. Um, And so we want to talk about I guess, in essence, the value of youth ministry, there are kind of two positions on youth ministry. I'm sure there's more than just two, but we're going to, we're going to kind of boil it down to two in this episode, because it has been argued before uh, by many, some of them uh, related to me that for the most part, youth ministry is unscriptural. Um, And that might not be the exact word that's used, but that it's not a good thing that it's very, very negative. Um, But then you look around the Bible belt, you look around congregations, especially all over the United States, you're pretty hard pressed to find congregations that don't have a youth minister or don't have some kind of youth ministry program. And you typically the ones that don't are working to try to get one. And so it's widely viewed as something that's essential. It's widely viewed as something that if you don't have it, you better start looking to get it. And yet again, on the other side of things, you have um, different individuals, different folks in the evangelical community arguing that it's something that is not good. It's something that's not, um, again, people have even argued that it's unscriptural. There's a guy, his name's Scott Brown. He's the director of the National Center for Integrated or for Family Integrated Churches, who came out and he said that modern youth ministry is an unbiblical concept borrowed from humanistic philosophies. That is a pretty stinging accusation. Um, but his reasoning is, and we're going to get into this a little bit later on in the episode, But his reasoning is that it segregates your congregation, and that's not something that we need to be doing. And so, again, there's a lot of different views on it. We're going to boil it down to two in this episode. Is youth ministry invaluable or is it does it lean more in the unscriptural direction, Um, which, again, is going to be interesting considering uh, that's that's what I do right now. So very interested to get these guys uh, takes on it. Um, But let me kick it to you guys as far as there's just kind of that divide that we have going on right now. um, What have you guys experienced as far as seeing people leaning in one direction? Again, kind of it's essential. It's necessary. We have to have it versus leaning in the other direction of maybe we shouldn't be having it in our congregations. What have y'all seen? I think it's 
I'm with you. Um, every congregation seems to either want one or have one already. So it's seen as essential. Um, I've, I've worked with youth and congregations before, not in an official capacity. They asked me to, to be their youth minister. And um, to be honest, I am one of those that doesn't really believe in youth ministry. And so I said, no, you know, I don't, I won't be your youth guy, but I will help teach youth classes or, or help be there with the youth if you need. Um, might be splitting hairs there, to be honest. And I think that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I think this is a good discussion because it's kind of an emotional discussion with some. Uh, the youth sure. are important and we want to make sure that they are taken care of to the best of our ability. And Jack, I'll kick it over to you in a second so you can answer that question as well. I mean, I, I, I do to answer your question well, at least what I think is, is your question is that, yeah, I see it quite a bit as being kind of an invaluable part of, of the church um, or a lot of people see it that way. And I, I don't personally. Um, and, and we'll get into that. Um, but I think there also needs to be Jack, I'll, again, I'll let you take it, but there also needs to be a discussion. Maybe we can segue into this on maybe how we view the youth, what we're looking to get out of youth ministry sure. in general, uh, because I think there may be, and, and we'll get around to this. I think there are some positive things that can come out of it, or maybe some things that that it can be redeemed, so to speak, but I know that's kind of harsh words for me. So Jack, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's it's very difficult. I've kind of had had all kinds of different angles of it. Um, I think one of the things that's helpful is the way it's evolved over the years. Uh, I think especially early on, it, it really just came into a very all youth focused, you know, just I, I don't know. I don't think it was healthy. And I think it developed to a degree of, you know, youth and family minister became a, a lot more of a, a common title, right? Where um, the the job, the description, the role became more of you're here to help parents, you're here to work with them, you're here to coordinate with them to, to you know, help develop their, their kids. And I think that is more helpful. Uh, Will referenced the the um, article his dad wrote, it was in Think Magazine in 2013, and some people who listen to this are probably going to remember that, because it it was uh, quite the uh, storm. Created a lot of the, buzz. Quite the buzz <laughs> in the Churches of Christ. Um, I, was, I, I, I was with Focus uh, back then as well, and I, I just had people like met sending me messages or I talked to people and what did you think of Brad's article or well, what did, what did Brad mean by that? I'm like, man, go talk to him. <laughs> it's, 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 his <laughs> it's a very good article. Yeah, you know, join article. a line. Cause there's about 6,000 other people. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> probably that's true. looking his, to talk to his too. inbox was pretty lit up. Um, it, it was a very thought provoking article. Um, we can, we can post this. Um, I'll, I'll put a link in the, the show notes page on focuspress.org. Um, if anybody wants to look at that, because he's really asking questions of what are we trying to do here? Um, are we segregating? Are we keeping kids from their parents? Or, and so there's a lot of good questions to ask of, can we, are there ways we're doing more harm than help? And, and what would be the way to, uh, I guess the questions you have to ask is, is can, is can, uh, can we <laughs> use this in a beneficial way for the church or sure. is this going to be a detriment no matter what? And I think it can be used in a beneficial way, but you have to be thinking about what you're doing. Well, and let's go ahead and establish the obvious, and that is that we are not sitting here character assassinating youth ministers. At least I hope not, because that's currently, again, the area in which I work. So I hope these two guys that are on here with me are not doing that. But um, again, we need to establish that. If you're somebody who serves in a, in a youth ministry role, we are not here to, to tell you that you know everything that you're doing is incorrect or that you are in a wasted uh, 
career field or anything like that. We're simply here to name of the podcast, think deeper, to ask questions, to consider um, the way that we do things doesn't need to be evaluated. And again, this is this is a field that I that I am currently employed in. And it's something that I devote, you know, a lot of my time to. And so we are certainly so I just wanted to establish that we are certainly not here to, you know, bash youth ministers, bash, bash youth ministry over the head or to condemn churches for doing it either. Right. I think right. that's we always go to like, well, is that, you know, can we fellowship them or, or you know, are you condemning them? We're not jumping to the far ends and saying, well, you're condemned if you have a youth ministry. Not at all. It It's merely asking questions of is it helpful? I would say. I'd hesitate like your question, Will, of is it leaning more toward the unscriptural? Maybe that's a good way of putting it. I, I think it's, you know, is it wise? Is it helping? Is it, right. is it a good thing? And my contention would be the modern way that it's done in a lot of, in a lot of times isn't necessarily the case. But I want to go back to this idea of how we view kids. What, because yeah. this, this is going to, I think this is going to set the discussion of how we um, approach youth ministry. And what we're looking to get out of youth ministry, because so much of it goes to our view of, of children and to you might be able to link the uh, Generations War podcast as well, because that, I think, comes into play as to how the older view the younger. Yeah, here, I would agree. Specifically the youth. But Will, you're in this. You're again, you're working indicator with the youth. Um, what are you seeing there in terms of how maybe the youth are thought of by other members of the church? Is there any are there any trends that you're seeing? I would say oh, yours yes. is fairly a. Fairly a, um, a fairly typical congregation, I would say, just because the size yeah. that you have and, and very conservative, right? So it's, it's a, I think it would be a solid litmus test, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. We're in a congregation about 200. So, you know, average size down here in the Bible belt. Um, but no, there, there are quite a few trends and I'll try not to use up all of them and leave, leave some material for you guys and what you've seen. But I think the most disturbing one um, that I see when it comes to the way that we view young people in the church today again, as a generalization, but we have incredibly low expectations for young people. I don't think that's even a debatable point. Um, you know, if, if they're showing up to worship and they are participating, again, participating in youth group functions, we are jumping up and down, high-fiving each other. We view that as a huge success when, as I've said before, for any member, that should be the bare minimum. We should not be celebrating just because, oh, that, you know, look at those those uh, 10th graders, they're showing up to Bible class and, and, and they're, you know, hitting the, the Sunday night devos once a month. We, we have such low expectations for young people. And it's almost as if we don't truly view them as part of the church. You know, Jack, I'm sure you're going to hit this in just a second. But we throw around that phrase that you're the church of the future as if they're just Christians in waiting. You know, they're, they're going to their Christianity, their uh, their faith is not going to be needed until the next generation or until the last generation dies away. And so with that comes, again, this idea of just having incredibly low expectations for them. We don't expect them to take a role in evangelism. We don't expect them to serve. We don't expect them to de further develop their relationship with God. Again, the expectations that we have for them consist of showing up for worship, showing up to youth group functions. That's about it. We don't, we, we're worried more about entertaining them than we are trying to actually disciple them into faithful Christians. Again, that is a, very, that is a generalization, but... That is, those are certainly the trends I see. I've been around a lot of congregations, not just the I've one I'm currently at. Yeah, it, it's it's all over the place. We 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 don't have low, we don't have high expectations for our young people. We've set the bar incredibly low. But Jack, I'll kick it to you. What what do you have to add to that? Well, I think it's kind of funny you brought up the Church of the Future thing. I've said this for a long time that a lot of times people will say 
You're not the church of the future, you're the church of today. Where do young people hear that when they are are separated from the rest of the church? When they are, you know, it's at a youth rally, it's at a youth function. You're the church of today. Like, well, I don't know, but the church of today isn't here. You're not allowed to hang out and be with them. And so I think that's something to consider is... If we, you know, do we think of them as the church? Uh, I, I've I've said for a long time we think of young people as JV church. You know, you've got your junior varsity. Sure. If you perform well there, then you move up to varsity and you can you can participate. You you're a full Christian. But where we lose people in those college years and after is there's there's not a path of 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 rising into being a contributor to the church and and what do you do next because then you're into the college group and the the young professionals group the singles group the young marrieds group um at what point do you just become a full church member and and i think you're a full church member i think biblically you're a full church member at baptism but this Absolutely. coincides with a the a, a, this is something i i've i've been really big on and in fact my article uh, a couple weeks ago on focuspress.org was about how many su- subconsciously how many ideas we take from the world and insert them into our biblical understandings without realizing it and one sure. of them is adolescence um i believe the word teenager was coined in the 50s um really throughout yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't history, been around that long right. throughout human history throughout you know and what the bible was operating on was you're a kid or you're an adult and, and yeah, right. there's a phase of transition, and it's not, okay, we name you an adult, we expect you to have all of the responsibilities of an adult and, and, and be fully wise and all those things. That's not, that's not true. But thinking of transitioning people from kid to adult, well, because we have this adolescence phase, we let people get stuck. And I remember, I'm going to tell a quick story before passing it back off. A few years ago, there was this baseball player, and he had some controversy. He did something really stupid, and there were a lot of people. There were articles and stuff saying, let's give him a break. He's just a kid. He was 28 years old. Oh, wow. And we're, but this is our cultural expectation is you're just a kid. And so you think if we can't expect 28-year-olds to act right, to act like adults, when you go to a 17-year-old in the youth group, of course we don't expect them to act like somebody becoming an adult, somebody stepping into responsibility, somebody that we want to hand responsibility. And I can tell you this, that's loved by kids that we don't hand them any responsibility because as long as they can go play laser tag and eat pizza, uh, that's, and, and participate in in a small Devo. In the same sense that they love not being disciplined by their parents as little kids. You love that. And it's awful for you. Exactly. Exactly. That's it's, that makes my point perfectly. It's not a good thing. We should be taking responsibility. It's part of being a man. It's part of being an adult, right? Of taking responsibility. But if we can extend that and our culture has extended adolescence, like you're saying, even to 28, 29, people aren't getting married. The average, I think for a guy is 29 or 30 for a woman is 27. I think that number is going up, but when you're not expected to get married or to settle down, to find your true career opportunity, you come out of college after four years and you still really don't know what you want to do with your life. You're a kid until back 30. home. Exactly. Yeah. We've, we've made it where at some point you're going to be a kid in your fifties because we just continue to keep it. We have to grow up at some point and we say, well, it's really young. We want them to be able to stay innocent and stay kids as long as possible. Two problems with that. First off, the innocence, especially if your kid's going to public school is, is long gone. Um, there that's, I'm sorry, that's not, I know that's a hot take here, but I work with these kids for a living. I'm a therapist. There's no such thing as innocence at that age. The words that they know, the things they come across, all of those things are mind blowing. Just horrible. Book. Uh, yeah, I know. Isn't that? <laughs> yeah. Failure. Um, 
And there you go. Book Who's the away. author of that, Jack? Who's the author of that? I can't remember. <laughs> Nobody good. <laughs> it's yeah, Jack that's Wilkie, right. Some idiot. Yeah. Is wondering. <laughs> Fantastic book well, for those that. Uh, but sorry. yes. Yeah. So versus is you know that that's not good. Um, lose my train of thought here. My fault. Um, no, that's okay. That's While okay. you're thinking, Joe, a, a point that go I was going to make, um, when you consider Jack, I think you're absolutely right in the sense that a Christian's role, a Christian's responsibility, a Christian's uh, responsibility to contribute to the work of the church starts when? It starts at baptism. This might be a, a much different discussion, but I think a lot of a lot of the issues are as well that we 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 push young people towards baptism maybe a little bit too quickly. By that I mean we do a poor job explaining to them once you become a Christian, once you're immersed in the waters of baptism, your your role, your responsibility, your not burden, that's not the right word, but your responsibility ratchets up tremendously. It's not something where the only change that we see is that you're now taking the Lord's Supper. It should be a life change. It should be a transformation. And again, it, it obviously depends on the maturity of young people, but how many 11-year-olds are truly ready for that transformation? What you need to, what what we need to do a better job of communicating to young people is from the time that you're baptized, you have a responsibility to contribute to the Lord's church, service, evangelism, um, I would even argue financially, um, but you have that responsibility and we're not doing a good job of communicating that. We're telling them, get in the water, get baptized. And like you're saying, Jack, you're on the JV squad until you hit, you know, 25 or 30. And I think that's just an enormous issue when you consider that's the message that we are uh, maybe by osmosis sending to young people. One of my big issues, and you guys have heard me rant about it, I've written about it, I mean, it's just a bunch out there, is how consumeristic modern Christianity is and how most people aren't church members, they're church customers. I come yeah. for what you can give me. And and when you take somebody, baptize them at 14 years old, and as you said earlier, just kind of, hey, keep coming, we're going to you know do stuff for you, here's some stuff that you might enjoy, hey, here's some learning opportunities. And I'm not saying it's all bad, I'm not saying it's all laser tags, pizza, any of those things, but... Your your spiritual feeding. You come to us. You do the. You know, just keep coming, keep coming, keep coming, and we'll 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 keep it. We'll keep feeding you, uh, without the expectation. Why do you think we have so many consumeristic Christians? Because they were baptized into consumeristic Christianity, and so, yeah. as as we talked about, like, what can this be? If it can be something to teach people, uh, you know, teach young people post baptism uh, to disciple them into service into you know, fulfilling a role of, of what every joint supplies. Uh, I'm going to make another book plug for one I didn't write. There's a, a book a few years ago. Um, I apologize if I get the name wrong. I think it was Philip Jenkins. Uh, the book was called The Lunch Ladies. And he was talking about how his youth group, he had groups of kids that he, that he would train and that, you know, he would ask them to come early and just teach them, hey, if you see a visitor, go sit by them. If you, you know, go figure, you know, go pray with people, go invite people, bring people in. And was teaching these kids to be the church. Uh, it, was, it was a really good book. And, and That's cool. Again, it was really cool. this thing of you got baptized. Your job is not to just sit here until we need yeah. you. Your job is get to work, and here's how we're going to do it. But your point about what time, at what point do they get to be full-time church, or like full church members, speaks to exactly what you just said. Do we know what that even means from an adult's perspective? If they're looking yeah. ahead and seeing the consumeristic adult, if you as a parent are, are in that consumeristic mindset, what are we leading our kids to? What are they going to be more consumeristic? And if, if they're going to look for their personal fulfillment in church, they'll look for their personal fulfillment outside of church. And I think that's why we're losing three quarters of the kids that, that we have is we're not winning them to Christ as much as the baptism is about staying out of hell. 
and the church is about what it can provide for them. And so there's or no socialization. Yeah. Right. And, and there's no loyalty to the church, to, to the, you know, the 80 year olds in the church that you're going to rise up and take their place. And, and like, we're not teaching that to our youth because it goes back to your point. Well, our expectations in my opinion are unbelievably low. When I taught a teen class back in Colorado, taught it for a little over two years and um, great kids loved it. But man, we got into some tough subjects and sometimes the kids were real uncomfortable with it. But the one thing that, that I got out of it is toward the end, it's a couple that went off to college and they really thanked me because they ended up hitting some things in classes that we had specifically discussed in our class on transgenderism and, and, you know, gender, things like that. And there was another one thinking through, I think we had discussed black lives matter, critical race theory, things like that from a biblical perspective. And they were running into that in college as well, letting me know, thank you for the class that really helped. I expected a lot of these kids because I told them, Hey, you have to know these things. It's, it's not, you know, we're not going to have a free ride all the way through or kind of do devos. Like we're hitting real things that, that matter to these kids. They're running into it in the schools. They're going to run into it in college. And sure enough, they did. So the expectations, in my opinion, they need to be, look at Jesus. I know he's Jesus. I know he's the son of God, but at 12, he's teaching people in the temple. Uh, right. At that point, he does not have the Holy spirit on him. That comes at 30. Well, so question. as it, you know, he's, he's he, but he was in he was uh, there, question. You know? Yeah, yeah he's part he, of it. sure. Sure. Questioning. He's in the mix. I should say as much, maybe not as teaching as much, but still he's questioning. He's learning. He wants to know, you know, he's, he's in the mix at the temple and so much to the point that they leave him behind. I mean, that's clearly like, he understands this is where I need to be at 12. We can't expect. Well, and, and my dad's pointed out before too, just real quick. If, if Jesus had exhibited any level of immaturity as a 12 year old, they'd have kicked him out of the temple. But he, he, he clearly had the maturity. He had the, the, the state of mind, you might say, to where he was sitting there with the Jewish rabbis at 12 years old. Yeah. Talk about well, high expectations. And, and I mean, I, to be fair, there's a part of me that goes, well, I mean, that is Jesus, <laughs> you know, like he, uh, by 30, <laughs> but he, was, he human. was well aware of, you know, where I, you know, like that. But on the other hand, you've got Joseph. At a young age, you know, the faithfulness yeah. that he shows. You've got Daniel, the choice of, of the young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends. Um, David uh, at a young age. Yeah, you know, we, we don't know exactly what David's age was, but it's very clear he's pretty young, you know, very youthful. Um, people who stepped up, uh, it's very in, incredibly likely that Esther was incredibly young at, at that point, you know, probably a teenager uh, when she was made queen. And so, I mean... Uh, when you just go through the Bible, uh, you know, and Timothy being brought along by Paul, it really does come down to expectations and, and what we do with these things matters. You know, Joe mentioned bringing up those social topics and, um, you know, I think getting deep into theology, a lot of Christians don't have, uh, a foundation. I, I was teaching a, a Bible class one time and this woman who had grown up in the church and she was in her sixties, I mentioned, you know, I was teaching about the Trinity and she said, wait, Jesus and God are the same. Like, Jesus is God. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, and I just you think how bad the church has failed this woman. You know, she wow. was in the the, youth, you know, or the early youth groups back then. And um, and so we can teach theology. We can teach doctrines. We can teach. We can get into to real life stuff because... And they understand it. Right. And they want to know. Right. You know, when you challenge, when you ask them to rise to the occasion, when you tell them, I expect that you can learn this and know this, I, I, you really see a response to that because... As as the point has been made by a number of authors, and, and it it's just hard to argue, how can we send somebody to go memorize stuff about the War of 1812 and the Civil War and, and all that stuff in their history class, 
They're learning trigonometry and calculus in their math class. They're writing essays. They're doing stuff in their English class, reading reading Shakespeare, things like that. And then you come in and, well, we, we can't teach them the word sanctification. That's a little outdated. That's a little big. No, get into all of it. Get into yes. the, the depth. Give them something to chew on. And, man, again, I think all of us as humans, especially as young people, a, a, a distinction, a, a term I cannot continue to wear. <laughs> uh, I've, I've outgrown, but I remember... <laughs> Jack, you're being, the elder statesman on this show. I really am. <laughs> and, and so being challenged, having somebody that respected me enough to expect something of me, yeah. that means a lot. That, that, that just goes yeah. a long way. And so, and, and this is where, again, this is where we wanted to start the conversation because I appreciate you bringing up the, the lunch ladies. Uh, I think it was by Philip Jenkins. That sounds right. Um, because I, I fully recognize there are dozens, prayerfully hundreds of youth ministry programs out there that are doing things the correct way. And again, that's some, these are things that I'm trying to implement, you know, here at, at Decatur. It can be done in a, in a manner that, that, is, that is much more effective in other ways. If you think about the, the stuff that we've discussed, you're the church of the future. We have low expectations for you. Or we'd rather or we spend more time entertaining you than, than discipling you. If your congregation's youth ministry is built around those principles, then it is leaning more unscriptural. And again, I don't think that's, I don't think that's even debatable. If you are spending more time entertaining young people than you are discipling them, if you're just trying to, uh, you know, again, keep them entertained, if you're viewing that kind of as a babysitting option, if you view them, Hey, if they're at the Devo, then they're, they're faithful to God. That's the measuring stick. If, If your youth ministry program is built around those principles, again, I would argue that does lean more unscriptural. Um, but I want to I want to ask another question to you guys when it comes to the way that it's currently being done. Again, as a generalization, I don't think it's debatable. Once again, that it's not really working. Joe, you brought up the fact that we're losing. I would say over three quarters of young people. Uh, you know, they go off to college. They uh, you know they leave the youth group, so to speak, at age eighteen. We're not retaining them. We're not retaining a lot of young people. I, I was. It has not been that long ago that I was in the youth, that I was in a youth group um, five years ago or so. And um, we had a solid youth group size, 25, 30. And um, I remember, you know, hearing all the stats and looking around at my youth group going, no, that's not the case. We're, you know, we'll, we'll retain well over half, you know, 60, 70% will still be Christians, you know, in five years. Simply not the case. I could, I could probably name six or seven, which is incredibly sad out of a youth group of 25 or 30 six or seven that are still faithful. And I I think that's the case. If people are honest, I think that's the case for a lot of, I think you guys would probably agree with that based on your youth group, even though that's been a few years for Jack, you know, again, the elder statesman here, but um, (laughs) so I want, I want to get y'all's thoughts on that. It's clearly not working what we've been doing for the last 20, 30 years where we're losing three quarters of our young people, something needs to change. And so again, that's why we wanted to have this episode. Let's think deeper. Let's ask those questions. So what are y'all's thoughts on that? Again, maybe the retention rate point of view here. So, you know, the meme of there's like uh, just this huge, you know, like hundred gallon water tank and it's from some like Billy May style commercial and the guy slaps tape over the leaking hole. You know, <laughs> I feel like sometimes that's what we're doing. And so not realizing the magnitude of the problem of of how much is being thrown at kids, how much kids are being dragged away by the world and, and how bad of the influences they're facing and, and how hard it is to keep them on the straight and narrow. And, and I think, as we've talked about, low expectations from the church, um, all of these, these problems that, that we have and the, the ministry that they're getting, 
And and the way that parents treat youth ministry as that that tape that we're slapping over the the leak. Yeah. Um. That. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? And and so because you know if if the parents aren't engaged, the youth ministry can only do so much. And I think that's one of the biggest things that can make it effective. And and the the youth ministers that I, I feel like have an effectiveness is a realization we're not the savior. We're not the substitute for their parents. We're not taking on that responsibility. We're here to do a job and get them moved in a certain direction and help their parents, help their home life, help them develop in this. It's a, it's a tool, of, not a solution. It, it, that's a great way to put it. It's a tool, not a solution. And, and so as we think about the youth, as, as we think, you know, I'm, I'm sure we have people listening who have kids, a realization that your youth minister is not the make or break or whether or not your kid stay safe. Now, I know there's a lot of people that credit their youth minister. Man, if without him, I wouldn't be a Christian today. And, and bless those people. You know, absolutely. You know, thank goodness for that. Thank the Lord for that, literally. Um, a lot of the times that's that's not the case because they can't do that for enough people. You know, the, the, the time is stretched. The best thing for kids is, uh, well, there's a number of factors, but parents is one of them. And so... Um, it, I, I guess that would be one of my points in this, or you, you bring up the retention rate, is are we expecting way too much out of this? And, and I, I think we are, and that's unfair to the youth ministers themselves. Well, and we're certainly going to get into this um, a little bit later on as far as what, what are the positives? Again, this is not a, a doom and gloom. Everything's you know going downhill. Youth ministry is bad and on a scriptural point of view. Again, that's what I do currently. So we're going to get into, you know, here's some positive things. Here's what we need to, you know, maybe what we need to change. But I did want to make that point. I, I have... And Joe, I'll kick it to you here in just a second. You're good. You're good. I have two, what I believe are valid complaints against youth ministry as it's currently constructed again, for the most part. And one of those complaints is in many cases, again, I feel like I have to keep saying it, not in all cases, there are fantastic youth ministry programs out there. But one of my complaints is that in many cases, it minimizes the role or the responsibility of parents. And you open God's word, and you know, we could we could look at these verses, Ephesians 6, Deuteronomy 6, Proverbs 22. You open God's word, you see very clearly, and it's not again, it's it's crystal clear the role of getting your child to heaven, the role of, of discipling a child is not left up to a youth minister. It's not left up to to a to a preacher, it's not left up to anyone but the parents, parental roles. And so I again one of the valid complaints against youth ministry that I would agree with is that in many cases, it minimizes the role and responsibility of parents. Um, and that is something that, again, we have to change that, that notion. We have to change that mindset of the youth minister is here to save the day. The youth minister is, is the end all be all when it comes to raising faithful kids, because if you open God's word, that, that responsibility lays on the parent's shoulders. You can use the youth minister, youth ministry rather as a tool, but it's not the solution. We don't need to minimize the role of a mom and dad in raising faithful kids because that is their role. That is their job. And I would say once the kid is baptized, does it not become the elder's role yeah. to help keep, really to point. help, to help them stay faithful? And here's my issue with it. The elders pass it off to a 25 year old youth minister. He's not qualified sure. to be an elder. He's certainly not qualified to be a deacon and deacons aren't supposed to be over the spiritual aspect of people. That is an elder's job. And they delegate it to somebody who's wildly unqualified in most cases. I don't care if it's a 40 or 50 year old youth minister. That's not their job to be over the spiritual health of, of the baptized believer. I was baptized at 10. At that point, I was under the headship of the elders. 
in the church. Yes, under my parents at home, but the elders had a responsibility and dad went in as an elder shortly after. So it kind of worked out both ways. But at the same time, that is an elder's job to make sure that I'm growing in, in that way. We also expect too little of elders, in my opinion. Um, it, but the, it goes back to you guys are hitting on the head. Parents play a, a crucial role because the youth minister and I have the same thing. People bring their kids to therapy and, and we, I think we do some good work and it's great. But I'll often throw back to the parents like you're the one that lives with them all the time. You're the one that's around them all the time. So let's work with you to figure out how you can best support the kid. Because, yeah, he could come and talk to me for one hour a week or whatever, and that's great. And we'll do some good work. And that's the way therapy works. At the same time, if your kid is struggling every hour of the week, one hour a week is probably not going to, to be the end all be all. He's going to need extra support at home. So I'll work a lot, a lot with the parents. Those are the youth ministries that I think are done well. They recognize me and I only have them for a couple hours a week. I'm going to try to influence them to the best of my ability. At the end of the day, though, this is this is mainly about the parents. And, you know, dad has had a great quote. He always said, he, I'm sure he got this from somebody else, but I just attribute it to him. What you win them with is what you win them to. And I think that's unbelievably true in youth. Ministry. If you win them with a laser tag and pizza, then that's what they're going to. Exactly. And is there any to, right? is there any problem with kids having fun? No. No, there's not. But if the kid comes to expect that every time they show up to church, this is why I have, I'm taking swings to everybody today. I'm the grumpy old man, but this is why I have a problem with VBS is because what you win them with is what you win them to. Kids come back to church and go, wait a minute. I don't get the ice cream social. Wait a minute. I don't get to, I don't get to scream and clap and, and have a great time with my friends. Like what is this worship stuff? It's, it's, it can be used appropriately, but what I see more often than anything is what you win them with is what you win them to. And kids who are catered to constantly and they have this, this fun idea of like, hey, I get to be with my friends all the time every Sunday. They go off to college and they come back and it's like, wait a minute. I don't get to be with my friends. Wait a minute. They're not catering me. Wait a minute. I don't get to be a part of the laser tag and the, you know, the fun devos where we, we spend, you know, 10 minutes talking about God and, and in two hours playing video games. Like, and I know that sounds very harsh, but I'm telling you. I've, I've been in youth groups where this is absolutely a thing, and I've seen this done in a lot of different youth groups. Like, we have to expect more of this entire process and specifically of our kids because when we give them those small things, that's what they come to associate with church. And when they come back from college, and, and the argument goes, as you're talking, Will, we lose them after college. The argument goes, well, when they have young families, they come back. They usually come back to the church. First off, that's not true. Um, not at yes, all. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that happens, but to act like we're getting the majority of them back. No, we are not specifically well, to act like that's okay. Home. That they go, you know, five, six year gap away from church, you know, but it's okay. Cause they come back. That's yeah. certainly not, not, right. not good. Exactly. And the second thing that I think I, I get most frustrated about if they come back and they sit in the pews, we go, Oh, they, they stayed faithful. Not necessarily. There are plenty of people right. in pews that aren't faithful Christians. I'm, I'm sorry to say, but are they active members of the church? That's how low the bar is set is if they walk back through the doors, we're just jumping up and down, not, not active members, not, Hey, I'll step up and help in worship. Not I'm going to be teaching Bible classes or, or I'm going to try to be a preacher, you know, or get up there and preach a few lessons, or, you know, I'm going to figure out what my ministry opportunity can be. If they merely show up to church, we're jumping for joy. That's a problem. Yeah. So, <laughs> you just preach a sermon there. You, you got to get through a lot of things. Um, I, I want to go back to your first point because I hadn't, uh, I really hadn't even considered this myself. I think it's really important that, uh, you know, once 
uh, once young kids become, or once teenagers, whatever age they are, are baptized, no matter what age they are, they are now under the headship of the elders. And so when we're, we're drawing the responsibility pie here, at that point, and, and eventually, again, anybody that comes to what we call the age of accountability in the church is responsible for themselves before God. When they are baptized, they're responsible for themselves, the elders are responsible for them, and there's still that the period in which the, the parents are responsible for them. Who's going to answer to God for these people? Now, a youth minister will answer to God for them as somebody who stood before them, proclaimed the word to them, taught them, you sure. know. But right. when you, you start sharing that pie of responsibility, they are down that list. Uh, again, as, as Will said, they are a tool, uh, you know, to educate, to develop, to, to help them in that way. But... It's such a great point that you don't think of the elders as being over-baptized youth. Um, <clears throat> they don't, they, and so the elders developing that responsibility with them. You know, as as elders do their visits and, and get to know their people, their congregation, or have people over, it, it's very easy to say, well, we went and saw that family, and so we know the family. But if the kid is baptized, you should have a relationship with them as well. You know, that the elders know that kid well, and know what they're dealing with, and... and Man, I, I think that's a really big part of this that's not considered because what happens is that gets farmed out to the youth minister. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's you know, my problem. We, with it. We're paying you to to shepherd them for us, and man, I I, I had not really well, thought and, of it, but I think that's important. And let me applaud the elders and the elderships because I know that they're out there. I, I, I the, the ones that we have here at Decatur that actually that understand this principle in the sense that you know they they actively engage with young people, strike up conversations with them. There's, you know, when we have a fellowship meal, they'll go over and sit with the young people and, and, and talk to them about what's going on in their lives, talk to them about the things that they're dealing with. I applaud the elders that do that because, you know, again, I've, I've dealt with them. I've experienced them. I think that there are, there are positives that we can bring out of this. And Joe is a Mr. Negative today. Um, <laughs> no, very, very good points. But what I wanted to get at was youth ministry done correctly is recognizing and understanding these principles applying them to the processes in place that you already have and, and using it once again as a tool and not a solution. If you have parents, if you have elders that fully recognize, as, as Jack said, kind of the, the responsibility pie, the, the hierarchy, if you will, of where does this responsibility fall, youth ministry can be a great tool. It, it can, you know, again, it I, we're going to get into the positives probably as we close the episode, or once we close the episode, but there's no denying that with the stuff that kids faces, it does them good to be around some, in many cases, higher quality young people. You know, you, you think about, I, I didn't go to public school. I don't neither one of you two did. My wife did. Uh, some good friends of mine did. They'll tell you the, the kids that are Christian kids are dealing with it at public schools and other places in far too many cases are not good people to be around. And so it does young people in the church good to have higher quality peers to associate with it's much better social socialization in many cases than what public schools or anywhere else can offer. And so I think, again, you use it as a tool, you use it as, as an outlet for your young people to, to gain more Bible knowledge, to, to gain more opportunities for service, to gain more opportunities for evangelism, you know, rather than view it as something that is uh, again, well, this is a guaranteed ticket for my kid to get to heaven or guaranteed ticket for my kid to be faithful. Again, the statistics show that's certainly not the case. And so it, it all depends on how we view it. It all depends on what role do we have the parents and the families play in our youth ministry? Do we, and this will get to, to another point here in a second, do we invite the entire family to to our to our youth stuff or to, to whatever youth and family stuff, whatever we call it, so that we're not segregating and separating families, so that we're not segregating and 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 
uh, adding to the disunity that exists during the church, because we have a lot of different age groups interacting. These are questions that we need to ask and things that, in my opinion, we need to implement if we're not already in our congregations. And to that point, it goes back. And you made a point initially, and I'll go back to this. Shout out to the Golden Church of Christ Elders in Golden, Colorado. Um, one of them happened to be our neighbor growing up, Ray Curtis, great guy. He would show up to my teen classes. He he knew what was going on in their lives. Like he was, he he even after that, we'd, we'd come out of class, you'd take him aside and, hey, how'd it go type of thing? And, and what's going on? How was the week? Uh, he was one of the most plugged in elders with youth. It does happen. So I miss her negativity, but I will say to and your point, awesome. we'll see. It, really it is yeah. so cool to see when he'd show up into my class, like I'd get giddy to be honest. Like how cool is it that I have an elder of the church here sitting through my class first to keep me honest, make sure I was doing the right thing. And I, you know, we didn't have any problems in that way. I don't think, um, never got talked to on those things, but he would participate in class. He listened to the kids answers. He knew where they were coming from. He talked to the parents of, of the, the kids. So to those elders out there, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. They are out there. Absolutely. I, I know it's Mr. Doom and gloom. Um, where I'm coming from, I, I have a chip on my shoulder about youth groups, um, personally. And, and so that certainly comes out here and I apologize for, for, well, those and, and that, I, I want to say case, that but, it's from a good, good place because Joe, I, correct me if I'm wrong. You were in the youth group, not near as long ago as Jack was, um, <laughs> no, just kidding. But, um, you, you so sorry, Jack, I'm piling on. What was it like no, it's, being it's in funny. the youth group when people walked on the moon where the kids excited? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. That was, that was no, all but, the talk, all the rage. <laughs> No, but my point is, Joe, you, you've seen the detriment of it. You see, yeah. you know, not that we want to call out any, anybody, but young people you grew up with that are not currently faithful because of the current youth ministry structure. And it bothers you. And I think that's coming from a very good place. And, and I'm the same way. It does. And I'll say this. I, I left the youth group early because I started Bear Valley early. And right around that time, I went to, I think I was maybe a quarter or two into Bear Valley. And I went to the deacon over youth. And I said, I'd love to teach a youth class you know, here's my thoughts, had it lined out here, are the classes I'd like to teach. I think this would be good. It wouldn't have to be a full quarter, just a few different options. Yeah. Well, thanks. You know, we'll think about that. And no, never came to fruition nothing. now, wow. nothing. And it frustrated me. Cause it's like, I know what's going on with, with my peers. I know what's taking place. I know what we're dealing with. And I, I feel that, you know, it would be cool. It would be more of a class discussion type of tone. Still nothing. And it real, I realized it's like, it's the problem is you, we feel we can't, you know, basically expecting any youth. But back to your point, I got off chasing rabbits, so I apologize. Back to your point, Will, this is the importance of the parents being involved because, as you mentioned, it's good to have them around other youth. Here I come with the negativity again. I know youth groups as well. Um, actually went and spoke at one in um, back in Colorado, did a uh, youth youth day, and a lot of bullying, a lot of, lot of issues going on there that um, wasn't great. I'll just say that I'll I'll keep it brief, but it was not great. And these are people coming to church and you had kids that were like very, very discouraged and were trying to avoid the youth group at that point because the the clicks there were just unbelievable. And the bullying that took place, this is why parents need to be involved and they need to understand what their kid's going through. And the kid needs to feel comfortable enough to, to be able to talk to his parents or, or, or her parents about that. So it's not to say that if your kid goes to the youth group, they'll naturally be around good influences. I have found right. that that is not always the case. And I understand the point you're making. I think it's better than what you're going to get at, at other places. But this is why, again, the parents need to be involved. They need to know yep. what's going on and be able to call some of these things out if the kid's getting bullied or if their kid is the bully. They need to know about it and be able to do something about it. So I, to go back to your point of 
can this be a good thing? Yes. I think it can be a tool. And in my opinion, to as exactly as you're saying, maybe having the families more involved. We used to do a Bear Valley banquet of the ages, uh, Boda, we would call it. And we would get together and we'd serve the older people. It was really cool. Yeah. I mentioned it. We I did that growing up in our youth group as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing is it was one time a year. We, we should be doing that a lot more service. But okay. We do service projects. I'm going to jump in right. because you're, you're blending point one and point two here. And so sure. I'm, I'm going to save that because I want to, I want to really hit point one because we, we have chased all the rabbits and I think it's really important uh, just about the parents because the egg said eight egg segregation, age segregation uh, is, is an important thing as well. And, and so we'll get to that in just a minute on the parents. Um, I think you, Joe, as you said, being plugged in, realizing what's going on, realizing what your kids are facing one of the analogies I make in my Lost Generation seminars uh, that I do is, you know, you want your kid to, so my dad, you know, he was a Denver Broncos fan when we were a kid. I'm wearing a Broncos hat right now. As kids, on Sunday, we watched Denver Broncos games. He bought me for my birthday Denver Broncos jerseys, Denver Broncos hats. We, you know, a couple times or you know, once we got to go to a game together, you know, we got tickets, we went to the game. And, and so we'd talk about the games and we'd watch them together. And, and you know, hey, did you hear what he just traded for? We, you know, we'd keep up with those things. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. It's not that hard. Do the same thing with your faith. You know, yeah. parents really, really want to make their kids root for the same sports teams they do. My one-year-old walks around in a Colorado Avalanche jersey. I mean, they make <laughs> them that. You start him there. You give him. You put a hockey stick in his hand. You know, yeah. like, and that's his choice. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. But you really—that's something you try and do. Is hey, this is what we do in our family. This is our traditions. This is what matters to us. Do that with your faith. Because nobody else can do it for you. Such a great point. Nobody yeah. else can do it for you. There, it's because the other thing is somebody else might come in and make them root for another team or whatever. You know, like you have that influence over your kids and your kids want to carry things on from you. Your kids want to learn from you. Your kids want that connection. And if you farm it out and put it into somebody else's hands, uh, to use another sports analogy, because, you know, that's what I do. That's you. Yeah. You watch baseball. The pop fly goes up in the air and the first baseman and the second baseman and the catcher all run at it and it's up and it's up and they all look at each other and it drops right between them, right? Because yeah. nobody called it. We go back to that responsibility hierarchy. The 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 kid, you know, developing, they're going through their teenage years, they're having a mountain of temptations and difficulties and confusion thrown at them. And you might have the elders, the the youth minister, the parents, the public school teacher, the everybody who's involved in their lives, just kind of looking at them, going, "They let uh, it drop." You, you yeah. got that? Parents step up first and say, "That's my kid. God has placed them under my responsibility." Um, you know, you've got some verses you, you wrote down on our notes here: Proverbs twenty two six, "Train up a child in the way he should go." Ephesians six, "The nurture and admonition of the Lord." Deuteronomy six. And who who are know, those written to? Is the point you're making? All of them. Not parents. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go specific on this as well. Not just parents, fathers. Fathers. Yeah. That's mm. such a big deal. Because yeah. a lot of times you'll see the moms are very big on it, very involved in their kids' lives. The dad is not as involved in their spiritual life. Fathers, talk Bible with your kids. Read the Bible with your kids. Pray with your kids. Talk about what they're facing and, and answer their questions. Work them through it. In the same way you would buy them your football team's t-shirt and take them to the game, take them to church. Talk to them. You know, just the principles apply pretty one for one. Do that. Well, it's a great analogy. And it's so it is rather sad that... In many cases, you'll have parents and, and well, even I'll throw the dads under the bus here, even specifically fathers who the last thing they'll talk to their child about 
is is their faith, is their relationship with God. They love talking sports. Uh, they'll love talking, you know, the latest maybe political news, the latest uh, world news. But they'll talk everything but Bible. You know, you ask, you talk to kids about having home devotionals and, and you know, what, what's been going on at your house when it comes to your faith lately. And they'll, they'll look at you with blank stares like, what are you talking about? We don't do any of that. Um, and again, that, that's, that's a blanket statement, but it's something that to, to, to speak to our first point here, there is a responsibility. There, the, the responsibility is on the parents and, and it, it, you, they are the ultimate solution to making sure that their kids are faithful. And I love the sports analogy you use, Jack. I mean, what was Tiger Woods's dad doing to him at age two? Put a golf club in his hands. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all that's, that's what they talked about. That's what they did together. They spent time doing what happened to Tiger Woods. You know, being the greatest golfer of all time, in my opinion, do the same thing with your faith. And I don't want to just completely echo your point, Jack, but it's, it's such a good analogy that you use there. Um, but Joe, unless you have anything to add on to that, I want to jump to, and, and Joe actually kind of already hit on it. The second, in my opinion, valid complaint against youth ministry. And again, we're going to hit positives. We're going to end with that. It's not all doom and gloom, but the segregation angle here. The, the way that current youth ministry is constructed in many cases, it trends towards segregation within congregations and it trains people to or trains young people to think that they can only ever associate with their own age group. That if there's nobody their age, if there's nobody with their common interests, if there's nobody within two years of their age, then they have no place. That's what we've kind of trained young people to think. And, and Jack, you brought this up earlier. Think about how many groups we have in the church. You got your youth group, you got your seniors group. You know, in many cases, you have your elementary elementary school kids group. You have your young marriage group, your young professionals group. You have your, your middle age group. So many different groups. And, you know, we wonder why there's not a lot of unity in, in many congregations. And so, again, I think that one of the issues with youth ministry and the way it's currently constructed is we we trend towards that that segregation. Even if it, we don't know that we're doing it, it's not like we're purposely setting out to, well, let's here, let's split the church up. But that can be a result. And in in my opinion, it's not a positive one. What do y'all have to add to that? This is one thing I mentioned earlier about how the culture, we're just soaked in the culture, we're saturated, and it's like the fish doesn't know that it's wet. We don't realize how many principles we've taken from them, and that's another one of them is, you know, people talk about public school socialization. You don't socialize with people your own age. That's the, like, that's not how life works. And up until that became institutionalized in our society, in human history, Kids associated with people of all ages, and and usually, you know, living communally with family, you got your grandparents, you got your aunts and uncles, you got your cousins, you got everybody, you know, top to bottom. And now we live in this culture where it's seven-year-olds hang out with seven-year-olds only. Well, you know what? Seven-year-olds are going to get along. They're going to want to play together. They're going to have that time together. But that shouldn't be the only people they're around. In the same way, 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds, only being around 14, 15 and 16-year-olds, that's not how a church family should work. And so you know, there's there's even Barner research that says the number one indicator of faithfulness yep. of, of the kids that stayed is multi-generational relationships. Number one, the number one thing that a, a kid had in the, in the church that would keep them coming is that they were connected to people outside of their own age. And so that should be something that we make very careful. We, we take great care not to sever those relationships or prevent them from even starting in the first place. And as we talk about those expectations, they come from older people. I remember playing hockey. We're all about the sports today, I guess. Negativity in sports. No. Um, when I was playing hockey, I'd play in the 12-year-old. If I was 12, I'd, I'd play in the 12 and unders. But my coaches would often have me play in the 14 and under as well. And I legitimately, I played different in both. 
I played down to my peer level, level in 12s yeah. and I'd play up to my peer level in 14. So the 14s were better. And this would gradually go up 16, 18. And you learn to play up to the level at which you're put. So when I was having to play with older kids who were bigger, stronger, faster, I would have to up my game. Well, we don't have to up our game because we're all in the same peer. If you're around other people who are again, expecting more of you and thinking higher of you and, and, you know, you start to build these relationships with some older people who have these expectations of you. It helps when I went through Bear Valley, my closest friend, I was youngest of our class. And my closest friend was the oldest of our class, who I think was older than dad at the time. Great guy. And he challenged me in so many ways because he worked so stinking hard on everything. That's like, I have to up my game because of this. And man, what a guy ended up visiting him in Africa a couple of times after we graduated. I mean, it just, cause he, he was over school there, really solid guy who helped me because as I was young, I could have just stuck around with my teenage kids or my teenage friends, rather, you know, the other teenage kids, or I could, you know, spend time with him who studied the Bible and who wanted to know and who called me to be better. So yeah, I think there's a, a huge aspect of responsibility of, you know, people thinking higher of you. And it also helps with the self-esteem when you can level up and, and have these really good conversations with older people. Well, and this is why we've made the point that if you're currently a youth minister, you're involved in youth ministry. One of the things that, in my opinion, is certainly a good idea is to make your youth events or whatever you call them, make the, invite the families, make them open to, to the older generations. We, we had a Super Bowl party last night at our church, uh, at our church annex building and um, had 35, 40 people of 40 people there. And we had, you know, ages ranging from my two month old, probably the youngest, all the way up to, to 65, 70. We, we had all kinds of generations that were there. It wasn't just young people. We had the volleyball net up. We had a good time, but it wasn't just young people. We had tables of, of older of older folks there playing cards, interacting with young people. We had a guy that's probably in his 50s playing volleyball with us last night. Just super cool. The fact super that, cool. you know, rather than just having, you know, 15 high schoolers for, for pizza and watching the Super Bowl, we had a, a big grew a wide range of generations that were there and, and that's the way and i'm not certainly not here saying that that i've got everything figured out that's the way that we currently do things at decatur i'll, I'll shout out uh one of the sweet ladies at our congregation her name is suzanne um i don't want to get her age wrong or anything but i certainly in her 50s <laughs> mid 50s yeah. yeah yeah exactly sweet lady love her to death she comes to all our devos. She, she doesn't have any kids in the youth group, doesn't have any grandkids in the youth group. She comes to our devos. She comes to our, to our events, the things that we do. That's so cool. It's great. It's fantastic. And, and, you know, we, we, when we will have monthly devotionals, but we don't have them in our youth room at the church building. We have them at people's homes. We have them at members of the congregation's homes. Several of our elders hosted youth devos last year. It's all about like, like y'all are saying, getting them, getting young people in the mindset of, you can socialize, you can associate with people outside of high school. You can so you can strike up a conversation and have a lot in common even with the 50 year old guy that loves sports just as much as you do or loves golfing just as much as you do. And again, for, from a positive point of view for youth ministers and youth ministry, that's something that I would certainly advise. Make it make it a priority. Invite families, invite older people, multi-generations going on. Once going back, try to remember what it was like when you were young and you had an older person invest in your life and care about yeah. you, whether it be a grandparent or, or anybody else, even a parent, when they invested in your life, how good did that feel? Now you could do the keeping up with the Joneses, um, of, of being around your own peers. Rarely did it feel really good. In my opinion, rarely did it feel really good, 
um, self-esteem wise and every other way to be connected with your peers. Yeah, you can have some fun for sure. But how good did it feel to have an older person invest in you, talk to you about, hey, what's what's important to you? What's going on in your life? If you had that, you know, special. That's something really cool. And we have the ability. So if you're an older person, listen to this, invest in the youth. They are, they need to be invested in, they need to be believed in, they need to have mentored. They, they need to be mentored. Yeah, exactly. Well, I and think this is one of those amazing things, things like, happen. as, as humans, we know there's the wisdom of the older, the, the youth of the younger. And we talked about in the generation wars thing, nobody wants to be older. Uh, nobody wants that distinction. And so it, it's hard to take on that distinction. Well, do it. it. It's good for you. It's good for them. It's good to be the guy that knows things. It's good to be somebody who's been there, done that. And, but you don't have the energy of these, of these kids. Um, I, I make the point uh, again, when I talk about these things that some of the most, I guess, successful, the, the most, I don't know, effective political campaigns of the last 20 years. Um, and I don't mean effective as, as in terms of getting elected, but just like moving, uh, accomplishing things, maybe being going farther than you think they could. Um, Bernie Sanders, Ron Paul, Barack Obama, not getting into their politics at all, but all of their campaigns were packed with college age kids who, you know, the, the people, the, the people, the political strategists who, who knew things, who had some wisdom put the energy that they had toward these candidates to work. And, I mean, you just see what it did. Those guys are household names because, man, the the young energy that they just fed off of and let those people go to work and directed them, guided them in the right way. Well, in the church, when you stash the youth away and, and make them insular, make them do their own thing, segregate them away from everyone else, you cut them off from the wisdom and you cut the older off from the energy that we, we kind of talked about some of this in our generation wars that has to feed on each other. Young people don't have wisdom. Like when, when you talked about going at, at 17 years old and saying, I want to teach the class on the one hand, as, as, you know, as a, a now old person myself, I guess my first thought is, you know, that's, that's not a good idea. You don't need to be teaching on the other. There should have been a, Hey, let's pair you with somebody you right. can teach alongside them. You know, let's uh, let's bring some wisdom in, but let's take a whole, let's let's not, you know, sit on that energy. Let's not throw that away because that's really good and we need more of that. We need to encourage leadership and um I think this goes back to a point that was a little bit uh, made earlier uh, or at the start where we we view faithfulness as keeping them there. Make if they keep coming, we've done our job. We have to shift from that yeah to we are sending these kids out as a line of warriors. They are the yeah. next recruits, the next, you know, group that we have, our rookie class that's going to, you know, that, that we can lean on, that we can really make use of. And, and there, there are reinforcements for this battle that we're fighting rather than, all right, we kept them coming. As long as we do that, we keep them coming and, and check that off as success, you're going to keep getting customer Christianity. You, we also have to, model for them what that looks like to be excited for Christianity. Because sure. a lot of times is when we're not excited about it, they look, they look forward and they go, I don't really want that, that. that. Yeah, exactly. That, that doesn't look great. Like I'm excited about it now, but if that's where I'm going to go hit the doldrums of, of Christianity and just kind of like fade into the background for the rest. Nobody wants to, it's the same thing as, as you look ahead as a young married person and when all you get is the, oh the old ball and chain and yeah it's you know, kind you of you just and wait thirty years exactly yeah. <laughs> you just you just wait five years till your marriage is horrible well you just wait ten years and it's like are you, wow boy that's that's what I have to look forward to is couples that you know argue and tell me that well when I hit certain points in my life that my marriage is going to stink 
that doesn't sound very fun. And so you have a lot of people who aren't married because they're looking ahead at that. You have to think about what we're presenting, what we're modeling for them. And if they're, if the youth are looking ahead and the church just appears incredibly dead, their passion will go and, and it won't go completely. It'll just move into something else. Why do you think the LGBTQ movement is taking off so much? Because the passion and zeal, those are a lot of those people are our kids. I worked with them in the youth group when I was, when I was teaching, worked with one that turned transgenderism. I grew up with one in my youth group, my age, we grew up from the time we were two and she turned transgender. Um, these things happen. So if you think that it's, well, not my, like, no, no, your kids, these are the ones that are, are taking their passion elsewhere and sure. things are exploding. Imagine if we could take the passion and the excitement that they have and use it in the church. But once again, we have to model that for them and allow for that. I think a lot of this boils down to something that we brought up a couple episodes ago, I believe with our COVID episode in which we need to get back to recognizing that every single member of the church is a quote unquote essential worker there. Every single member has a responsibility to contribute. Everybody has different talents. Everybody has different abilities. And if you sit on those, if you waste those, that that's a net negative on the body of Christ, on what the net, on what the body of Christ can do on, 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 how we can make God's kingdom grow. That includes young people. That includes 85 year olds. That includes every single age group that again, Ephesians 4, 16, working together by what every joint supplies. It's, it's a, that's the way God designed the church. And, and if, if we could get back to that again, a, a lot of this, I think could, would not even be a, an issue, but unless y'all have, do y'all have anything to add to that before we, yeah, no, I do. To- I, I want to circle back and finish on the expectations thing because I don't think we take what we do as a church seriously enough, and this is a big part of it, because you also see when a a young man has some energy towards the scriptures and all that, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old, sometimes we'll slap him up in the pulpit and, all right, go preach. Hang on. Like, this is not, this is something we need to take seriously and realize this is great that he has this energy. We need to do something with this, and we need to, to, you know, this is not just, oh, cool, we've got one who cares, and 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 so now he gets to preach, too. Not necessarily. You know, like, we need to develop and, and, and invest in all that, but one of the other points Devotee um, Bauckham makes, we'll uh, quote him again, uh, is anytime a young man has that kind of energy, anytime he has that kind of interest, it's, oh, well, you must, you must be, uh, you know, going into the ministry, huh? You're going to be a preacher, aren't you? You're, you're going to, you know, go to, go to preaching school, go to, you know, college and, and, and become out a preacher. Every young man should have that. Like we don't yeah, have right. that, that expectation. And, and so part of the, I don't know, it, it just, I think those are the three points we've gotten to a lot. And I, I that's my biggest one is low expectations. Stop, yeah. you know, seeing the one spiritual boy or girl in, in your youth group and think, well, they need to go to Bible college and get educated for this, that, or, you know, they need to preach, they need to write, they need to, not necessarily. Um, they, we need, we should expect that of all young people. We need theologically point. educated Plumbers, theologically educated accountants, theologically educated lawyers and doctors, you know, people like who really know their stuff and and are, have a burning passion for God and his work and don't have to go into ministry. And so uh, those being kind of the three points we've we've gotten to in all this is parents and, and that re- responsibility hierarchy, but especially parents not delegating it to youth ministers. Uh, the two, not segregating people, not keeping the young away from the old. Third, keep the expectations high. Realize these young people have a lot to contribute, and we should make use of it. 
and youth ministers can be that tool that really unites those and helps those helps helps takes those. So youth ministry can. I'll, I'll finish on my positive note here. There you go, Joe. Hey. Youth <laughs> ministry. Yeah, exactly. The first time saving the best for last. Sun came out. Yeah, yeah. The um, dark is just before the dawn, right? So they youth ministry can work if the youth minister is doing all those things, keeping the expectations high, working alongside the parents, you know, having the kids, not, not segregating them, but getting them to, to work with others. And, and again, I've seen in the past with the banquet of the ages and with going and helping older elderly shut-in members with yard work and things like that, where they get to con- connect with others. Um, just think outside of, of the youth group, think outside, think about who they can help and how you can channel that natural excitability. If, if that's a word that natural excitement, I guess is <laughs> a better word into something really cool for God, right? And, and get them connected to that. So youth ministry can work. I think it just has to be done appropriately in the ways that have, we've stated. Will, I'll let you wrap it up though. No, cause... no, no, hold on. I'm, I'm not done oh, here. Okay. I'm not done here. Because oh, I, I've, I've just, I'm going to keep rolling. Uh, I know we got to get out of here soon. Um, we've spoken to parents. We've spoken to elders. We've spoken to youth ministers. We haven't spoken to teenagers themselves. And I would oh, imagine we've got one or two young people listening to this who, if they're listening to this, they're obviously very spiritually interested young people. What do you guys say to them? You know, they might find themselves in a situation where it's it's more entertainment. They might find themselves in a situation where they're a little frustrated by being age, age segregated or low expectations. They might be somebody that really wants to contribute and be involved. Uh, I, I just don't know. Uh, I, but I'm, I'm creating this this you know, person that, that we can speak to here, because again, if they're listening, there's somebody who's interested in God and his things. What do you say to them in this situation when they find themselves stuck with some of these, these pitfalls we've talked about? I want Will to wrap this one up because this is his wheelhouse. <laughs> oh, yeah, so yeah, I'm going yeah. go go to make, it, sorry, I'm going to make mine short go, and go jump in here. Um, I would say for the youth, whether your church does or does not put high expectations on you, put high expectations on yourself. God does. You know, he, he thinks the world of you. And if you've been baptized, if you're listening to this and you've been baptized, uh, then Ephesians six and the armor of God certainly applies to you. We are warriors and allow that to spur you on to greatness for God. Allow that to be something that instead of the burden of responsibility of, oh, man, I got so much to do. That's really cool. You're one of the big boys, you know, you're on the A squad, the A team type of thing. You're on varsity squad. You're not, don't view yourself as, you know, kind of the future of the church little kid that will eventually get around to it. Man, see how you can step up today. See, see what people you can pray for, how you can, you know, get involved. Ask the elders or ask the people who are in charge of worship to see if you can say a prayer, read the scriptures, um, start working on things like that. Reach out to those that, that, you know, may be able to help you help mentor you and let them know that you want it because I think that's really, really important. But uh, I applaud you if you're listening to this. I applaud you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's just use it. Don't don't lose the excitement um, for for God in the well. I just kind of need to sit back and, and take it in. No, man, get to work. You got a lot to expect of you. Sorry, Will. I'm just kind of took. Oh, sound, you're good. You're good. Go for it. Uh, several things I would say. I'll try to keep it as brief as possible. Um, the first thing that I would say is. Um, you don't need a youth minister. You don't need a youth ministry. You don't need uh, a youth group for you to constantly work on developing your relationship with God. Um, if you are somebody who, again, maybe you're in a situation where it's all entertainment, you don't really feel like you're growing. You can still do everything in your power aside from that to develop your relationship with God, spending time with him, spending time studying his word. Again, as Joe said, having high expectations of yourself, you devote an hour of your day. You devote 30 minutes of your day 
to increasing your Bible knowledge. So, I mean, the, the information age that we live in, it's not hard to find commentaries online. It's not hard to find biblical resources online. You know, we spend young people, we, as young people, we spend a lot of time uh, with, with homework, with schoolwork. We spend a lot of time with doing things we enjoy. Make sure that you're devoting time to furthering your relationship with God. And don't think that that can only be done within the four walls of a church building. Um, so that would be the first thing that I would say is make sure that you're not relying on somebody else for your relationship with God to grow. I know Joe's really big on, on the idea of relationships. It's up to you to, to, to develop it. Obviously, there are things that, that can help. Um, but it's up to you first and foremost. Uh, so that's the, that's the first thing that I would say. The second thing I, I want to add to that is that we, we've already hit on the fact that we need to have, you know, less segregation and more, you know, integration as far as older generations and things. But one of the things that I do think needs to be brought up is the fact that young people associating with young people does bring energy. There, there's a reason that, um, as young people, you do enjoy hanging out with young people is because there is an energy there. And so what I would say is use that for evangelism, use that to reach out to, to those in your community. If you go to public school, if you're at college, use the energy that you have to relate and to reach out to other young people. I think that's at the end of the day, one of the goals of youth ministry. And we've talked about how that might be a little bit misplaced because we need to have more integration, but is that you use things that young people are passionate about to reach out to other young people. And then this speaks to something that uh, we hit at earlier, and that is you have a responsibility to evangelize. You have a responsibility to reach out, spread the gospel. It's not just a, okay, you, if you go to preaching school, then that's that's what you need. That that Those are the people that need to spread the gospel. Those are the people that need to sow the seeds. If you're a 16, 17-year-old who's passionate about God, who's passionate about Christ, use that passion. Take that passion. Take that zeal. Take it into your school. Take it into your college. Take it into your job, whatever it is, and use that to reach out to other young people. And again, not just young people, it, people of all ages but take that energy and use that energy. Those would be the things that I would say. And if you get shut down once or twice, don't become a grumpy old man like me. Uh, take it. <laughs> don't give <laughs> up. Don't, give, don't up. give up. Right. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep, keep asking, keep pushing, keep doing everything that you know how, if you get shut down once or twice, you know, and, and people don't take you seriously or whatever else you can kind of expect it. Timothy fought the same thing in first Timothy four twelve. let no one look down on your youthfulness. That was clearly taking place there. Um, otherwise yeah. I don't think Paul would have mentioned it. So you're not alone. If that takes place, don't let that discourage you to the point of, of going away and saying, ah, oh, you know, it's all for not. No, well, it's I not. tried. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like, man, keep pushing. You'll find the right, right person who's willing to work with you or whatever it may be. Um, but just stay the course. And uh, yeah, that's what I'd say. I'd what about you, Jack? Uh, no, you guys summed it up well. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Make sure we uh, didn't leave anybody uh, hanging there as, as we kind of went over different roles. Um, okay, let's get the sermon sum up real quick. Um, I guess I'm going to make Joe go first. I don't know whose turn it is, but I'm going to make Joe go first. He oh, never yeah. makes himself go first, Joe. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. That's the... um, <laughs> no, no, you're good. Um, I got a client, so I'm going to make it real brief. But um, yeah, we... So something I've been thinking about is just this idea of expectations, things that we've been called to. And so I'm going to start developing. I've actually done some sermons on this. I think I'm going to go back to this idea of being called to more. Um, I just finished that sermon series on created for what we were created for, but I want to, see, what were we called for? You know, we've been called to more. Uh, we've been called to more with our worship and we need to think outside the box, I think on, you know, how, if we were starting from scratch, how would we best worship God in truth, of course, but also in spirit? What would that look like? Would we change up order of worship? Would we go longer? Would we take 
the Lord's Supper more seriously and make it a 15, 20 minute thing with, you know, actual um, unleavened bread, like things like that. Um, so we were called to more with worship. We were called to more with prayer, not having that plan B, not hedging our bets. And I may have touched on this one before in sermon sum up, but I'm just kind of back on this idea of being called to more in our prayer, not just the, you know, quick prayer life, saying it at meals or whatever, or even hedging our bets that, well, I'll pray, but I'll kind of have a plan B, but really di- diving deep into our prayer lives. We are called to more to live by the spirit uh, and, and what all that entails and what that looks like. And we are called to more as a church expectations, expecting things of each other, expecting things of ourselves. So I think I might flesh this one out a bit more um, again in, in future or upcoming sermons, but just this idea of us being called to more, if our goal is to to desire God, to become more like Christ and to glorify him to the best of our ability. How would we do it better? I want to step back and say, okay, we got all our, we got all our, you know, traditions and everything. Is there any tradition that maybe we need to give up in search of something better? That's the idea here that let's think outside the boxes and obviously keeping it biblical, staying inside scripture, but just how, what could we do to be the best at what we're doing? Because we are called to have dominion and to rule as we've looked at. So um, that's let's, kind of my let's thought. Think- Let's think deeper is what you're saying. There, there you go. go. There you go. Nice plug. Nice plug. Um, yeah. All right. I'll jump next. Then I'll let Will give his and close us out. Um, so I'm, I'm in Mark 11, Jesus cleansing the temple, but that's wrapped by him cursing the fig tree. And it's just Jesus is looking for fruit. Uh, and it said the tree was fully in leaf, but it had no, no figs to show for it. Uh, he comes to the temple. It's a beautiful temple, beautiful building. Everyone's dressed up nice, doing all their rituals. There's no fruit to show for it. And when he calls it a robber's den, he's pointing back to Jeremiah 7, in which the people of Israel were saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. God's not going to, you know, we're, we're fine. Nobody's, nothing's going to happen to us. We have the temple. And he's he's referencing that verse. And I think for us as the, the Church of Christ, as Christians, sometimes it can be the building, the building, the building. Like, I'm there. I am, I'm there every Sunday. I'm a Christian. Yeah, but do you have any fruit? Uh, and again, in the Church of Christ, uh, this is going to be a little touchy, but we do the doctrine, the doctrine, the doctrine. We don't have instruments. We baptize. We don't have women preaching. We've, we're, we've got this. We're going to heaven. Okay, but do you have the fruit? That's good. But do you have the fruit? Uh, you know, what? what is the thing that we are hanging our hat on the label. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Whatever it is, that's what they were doing is we've got the temple. We've got all of our rituals, all this beautiful stuff we do. Yeah. But does the tree have any fruit on it? If not, it's going to be cursed and die. So, you know, Good stuff. Yeah. Religious like people it. need to to make sure that the fruit is there. Very, very similar to what I uh, preached on recently did John 15, uh, first, first uh, five to seven verses. Uh, where Jesus gives us uh, several analogies. He labels himself as the, the vine. Uh, God, the father is the vine dresser and us as the branches. Um, and so I, I went into to the, the elements of those, you know, what, what's expected that what are, what are God's roles or what are the father's roles as the vine dresser? He, he brings up that it's to cast or to, to cast away the branches in him that aren't bearing fruit. We don't talk about that very often, but there are branches in Christ that are not bearing fruit. And what is the God, the father do as the vine dresser, he cuts those, he takes those away. He prunes, went into, went into all those things. Uh, one of the interesting things just real quick is that when Jesus says, I'm the true vine, that's actually going back to the old Testament. You look at Psalm 80, you look at Jeremiah two, you look at Isaiah five, you go to Ezekiel 15, Hosea six, all kind of places in the old Testament where the, the vine analogy is used to talk about Israel, talk about the Israelite nation and how God expected them as a vine to bring forth good grapes, good fruit, but they brought forth wild ones. Look up Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. It's really interesting. But when Jesus comes back and he says, I am the true vine, 
he's essentially replacing the Old Testament version of the vine with something more perfect, something because Israel didn't bring forth those good grapes. But in the essence, in essence, what Jesus was trying to communicate there, if you had to sum it up into one point, is kind of what Jack just mentioned. We're expected to bear fruit as the branches, you know, abide in me, I in you, uh, for without me, you can, you can do nothing, bear fruit, bear much fruit, abide in my love. And so the, I just kind of spent time making the point. Satan doesn't mind you being a Christian. Satan doesn't mind you coming to worship. Satan doesn't mind you um, singing, taking the Lord's supper, all those things. As long as you're not bearing fruit, he's doing his job. And so that, that's the point that, that I made there. And, and so again, ties in with Jack's is that we have a responsibility to bear fruit. So really good section like of scripture that. there. I like that. All right. Good stuff, guys. Um, we will close right there. We will be back next week. We have not decided on next week. We did get a request for a discussion about grace. We talked about once saved, always saved, versus once saved, barely saved. We might get into that. Uh, we've got some other topics on the burner as well. I always uh, find myself in hot water online, so that's uh, <laughs> created some some interesting topics we might cover there as well. As always, if you have a request, jacketfocuspress.org is the email. Uh, send it to us, and we want to thank you guys for listening. Are you doing a Are you doing a book? Sorry, a book giveaway. You had mentioned. It. I don't know if you're going to. No, 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 not this week, not this week. Okay, next Um, week, okay, sorry. Yeah, so uh, I can't give away too many books or Brad's going to get mad. Um, (laughs) So uh, like, subscribe, share, Uh, appreciate everyone listening, and we will talk to you guys next week. Mm